Welcome to this week's edition of Called Bing Sports. Today we talk about how the Jazz have lit it up this preseason, especially with the help of Bojan Bogdanovic. Please remember to like, comment, subscribe, and don't forget to ring that bell. Welcome to another episode of the Call Bank Podcast. Uh, we've been discussing the offseason, uh, kind of hyping up for the season, seeing what we're doing. But this episode, we'd like to focus on a little bit more on the Utah Jazz preseason, especially since we went undefeated. And we're going to try to figure out, what does that mean for us? Does that mean much? So, for starters, I think all of Jazz Nation is really excited about the return of Bojan Bogdanovic, and especially how well he played. And I, I think he was really great in two of the games. And one of them, it's not like he was bad. He just probably didn't get as many shots up. But um, from what you saw from Bogdanovic in the preseason, what are you expecting to see from him in the regular season, especially in these first 10, 15 games or so? I'm just expecting him to see pull to see him pulling up from behind the arc whenever he wants to and letting it go. Um, like you said, in the first game, he took six threes and only made two, which is still 33%. Like if you're a 40% shooter, you're going to have those nights when you don't quite hit that mark. Um, second game, I don't have the stats pulled up right here in front of me, but last game against the Clippers, which I mean, has a pretty good bench unit. I'm not entirely sure who else was playing and from that perspective or like who his minutes were against, but he went five for nine from three point range. So, I mean, not only is that 15 points off the three, that's over 50%. Um, He's not going to replicate that every night, but it's super awesome to see him like shooting. And we know that that's not going to be a problem. Obviously, he had hand surgery, and that's where things kind of start getting concerning is that is that going to impact his ability to dribble and get those shots up? But man, he just looks like he's come back up, not even he's come back and picked it up just another step up. And I use the word up way too many times right there. But, you know, I think he's just going to do super great this season, and it's going to be an he'll be a big difference maker for the Jazz. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people, especially since he didn't play in the, in the playoffs, kind of forgot the impact that he can make. Um, and I think one moment that uh, pretty much every Jazz fan will remember for several more years is when he hit that buzzer beater. I'm blanking on the team that it was, but it was like a last second buzzer beater game winner. And that was huge. Um, and people forgot that he is that kind of guy. He's that good of a three-point shooter. He um, can hit important shots, and you're going to see nights like uh, we saw in the preseason where he goes five for nine from three, and that's just him from three. Like He has other scoring options as well. So I think people are undervaluing what he's going to bring to this team once the regular season starts here in four days. They really are just undervaluing that. Um, as for the buzzer beaters, he had a buzzer beater to beat the Bucks in um Salt Lake, and that game was just amazing. And then he had a buzzer beater just when he was getting absolutely assaulted by two Rockets players 
to come back and beat the new small ball um, Rockets with no player who was taller than 6'7", 6'8". So, and I mean, that's like the biggest transition right here to make is the Jazz are really playing, at least on the offensive end, like a very Rockets-esque style of offense where they're shooting the ball, you know, with 19 seconds left on the shot clock, pulling up from three. They're not holding the ball until seven, six seconds left. And they've really picked up their pace of play. Now, what the Jazz do that the Rockets have never done and really could like make show that this offense has a lot more legs than the Rockets seem to give it is the Jazz then go down to the other side of the floor and they play defense and they try to stop the other team from putting the ball into the basket. So while it's maybe not the biggest change from like just what the players have to do, I think this could be really exciting to see the Jazz come out and possibly, I know that I'm like, really putting on my note glasses right now, possibly <laughs> have the best offense in the NBA this year. Not just on the first, not just, um, you know, not just be putting up points, but be there and have the best offense in the league. And that sounds crazy, but I don't think it's as far fetched as a lot of people think it is. Um, like Mavericks, they had the best offense last year. And obviously they have Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, but like, and those are like obviously they're both all-star caliber players. Um, Luka's a superstar; uh, he's an MVP candidate. But it's not like the Jazz don't have that kind of talent. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, he is um, an all-star who is getting better, and he's probably going to play at a superstar caliber this season. Rudy Gobert is an all-star and his offense is improving. Um, he's and like even having someone like that get offensive rebounds as regular as he does, that really helps improve your offensive efficiency. And then you have some great shooters and uh, we're especially Bogdanovich is with who we're talking about right now. But with the pieces that they have, if they figure out how to play together, if they come and play every night, if you're not seeing Mike Conley shooting two for 13, but he comes out shooting like he was in the playoffs, then it's not unrealistic to say the Jazz are going to be fighting for that top offensive, as far as offensive efficiency goes. And then like it, their offense may be better than it was last season, and they brought on a ton of defensive pieces. So uh, it's it's kind of scary for teams that no one wants to play the Jazz. Yeah, and a really interesting statistic is once the Jazz got Jordan Clarkson, they had the best offense for the rest of the regular season from that point. Now, it's a lot easier when you're not playing the Bucks and the Clippers and the Lakers and the Heat over that stretch. When you were able to go and play a lot more of the defensive co- compromise teams in the NBA. But they've definitely shown that they have that ability. Last year they had the best percentage Um, for all players taking three-point shots in the league. So if they're upping that like they did, I believe, against the Clippers in their last game, they took over 53s. And, you know, if you're hitting 37, 38% and on on 53s, that's a lot of points. And if you're... And the Jazz... Well, I've just lost my tongue right here. Um, (laughs) And... I think one of the biggest concerns that has made it hard for Mike Conley to play is that there's only one basketball. 
And with Bojan being the level of player he is, and Donovan being the level of player he is, you want the ball in their hands. You like you want them taking those shots. And Conley's still an amazing offensive player, but he's not able to get in as much of a rhythm like he was when he was in Memphis. And he was the offensive threat unless he was going to pass it down low to Gasol um, or pass it out to Gasol. So, but when you're taking 53s in a game, that means that like in the Suns game, um, the second one, you have Conley who's able to take five of those threes and make three. In the Clippers game, you have Conley who's able to take eight threes and make four of them. So this in essence, just because there's so many more shots, almost makes it like there's more than one basketball. It's pretty much the only solution that I can think of to be able to give every offensive player the Jazz have the number of shots and looks that they should be taking just because they have so many players who are threatening on that end. Yeah, that's a good point. The Jazz do have a lot of players that when they have the ball in their hand, they're a threat. They can, um, they have a lot of players who can pass, a lot of players who can dribble, a lot of players who can shoot. Um, but the, and like we saw Conley come in and he, he really struggled at the beginning of last season. Um, and that was probably just like exactly what you were saying is he was used to being the offense. He came in, he was the general. He decided where the ball went. He decided what play to run. And now he's in a new system and he has to share the ball with Donovan Mitchell primarily. Um, but what he was able to bring in the playoffs and especially later on in the season when he started clicking is he still had that. He can still bring the ball down. He can still be a threat as a point guard. But he was getting better at moving off ball. And that is something that has become increasingly valuable in the NBA, especially in the NBA where the trend right now is you have a superstar, either point guard or wing, bring the ball down, and then you just have a bunch of shooters around him that can move around off ball. That's why Clay Thompson is so valuable for the Warriors. And so Conley being able to develop that more, I think um, I don't think Mitchell needs to develop that because he is the franchise cornerstone. But then Bogdanovich is built for that kind of stuff. But then it's also nice to have players like Conley where they can do both because Mitchell can't play all 48 minutes. And so then you can balance that out and always have a threat out there like Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, or Donovan Mitchell. Um, So I think that's one thing that will be crucial for the Jazz if they want to fight for that top offensive team is their offensive motion, off-ball motion has to be on point. And if it is, then their offense is going to be a top five in the league. Yeah. And while Donovan Mitchell is definitely moving to be the point guard of the Jazz um, in the future, um, and even if he's holding the ball more, Donovan just does better on the court statistically when there's another ball handler who can be the primary ball handler like Conley and Joe Ingles, just to name off the two um, biggest ones. I don't know if it's because he's able to share those responsibilities more, if it's just something in his subconscious where he like knows that it's not all on him to hold the ball and he can give it to someone who's very capable to dribble and pass and do those things. But you, you're totally right that Conley needs to be able to move off the ball, especially depending on what happens after this offseason and where it goes in the future, if where Donovan's 
going to probably be the one who's bringing the ball up because he's just that explosive and that good that he shouldn't. It's not the most effective to have him have to wait to have the ball passed to him and then be able to go to the hoop. If he's able just to push it up the court, that's going to result in a lot more points for the jazz and having a lot more success. Well, and he is a little undersized for a shooting guard. So if you can train him to become a point guard who brings the ball down, then that gives you another piece on the floor that you can add a little bit more size and a little bit more shooting with that. Um, And so obviously right now I love the Conley bit, but if you could have Mitchell learn a lot from Conley, how to do what Conley does as a point guard, then you have room to sign on someone who is going to be able to guard the the one through three. Well, Mitchell, he's a little undersized, so he, he'd have a tough time. He has a tough time guarding some twos, and it's really a stretch to ask him to guard a three for any large amounts of the game. And so I, th- I think that could help both the Jazz offensively and defensively to be able to add that size. And so here's the big question. Obviously, the Jazz are 3-0. I think everyone wishes that this was the regular season and we had just started <laughs> off by beating the Suns twice and then going and blowing out the Clippers. Um, but it's not, you know, you only had, when you look at the Clippers minutes, Leonard only played 22 minutes and um, Beverly only played 18 and Paul George played 26, which is similar to what the Utah jazz starters did. But does this actually mean anything like obviously it shows that Boyan's back and he can shoot. But should the Jazz expect the success to transition to the regular season? Or are they going to, you know, start it off against a Portland team that wants to win? And when all of a sudden you have starters playing, you know, 38, 40 minutes to try to get a W, are the Jazz going to fall apart and not be able to put it together for that long? Um, it is up in the air. The I think the benefits that the Jazz have are that they kept their primary core together and and then they just brought um, some players got healthy and they brought in some new bench players but even the main bench ad was Derek Favors who has been with the team before so I think they do have a benefit there um, also as much as we don't like to think about it they did exit in the first round which means they had a little bit more rest than most playoff teams and about the same amount of rest as teams like who were in the playoff run hunt but didn't make it like the Grizzlies or the Suns. Um, but for this Trailblazers game, I think that's really he- that's going to be huge for the Jazz because it's going to be tough no matter what. Um, the Jazz need to bring their A game for that. The Trailblazers have too many scorers that the Jazz really need to click defensively which is something that they had trouble with, especially early on last season. And so without having a full training camp, that is a concern. Like there's all coming into a season, there's always things to iron out and to make sure they're perfect. So if the jazz, if there's just a major thing that they need to iron out and they haven't had time to do it yet, they may get off to a slow start, but I think they have that advantage and I think they will get off to a hot start because they kept that main core together. And hopefully they learned from their mistakes last season and they've ironed most of the major wrinkles out in their defense and offense. I think we'll know pretty quick into the regular season. Um, And I say that because um, 
you know, our fourth and fifth games are against Phoenix and Los Angeles respectively. But I think that what the Jazz have shown is that they've made changes that don't necessarily, that don't seem like major changes to the offense, but will have a major impact. Just because you're running the same offense, it's just if you have a good look six seconds in, Quinn isn't saying, we want to take a shot in the last five seconds of the shot clock. Take that shot. So that's not crazy. And then um, we've talked a bit in other podcasts about how much Joe Ingles is going to benefit in um, with Derek Favors in that second unit. When you look at it, and Joe Ingles did amazing when Conley was injured last season. And that's because he had Gobert, who we could run the pick and roll with. Like that's just a big part of his game. So that's going to be super awesome. Having favors be able to um, take that Gobert role for Joe. So I think the jazz are for real. I think the jazz are going to get a top four seed. I really th- would not be shocked depending on what the Clippers do and how the nuggets um, moves impact them. If the jazz get the third or the second seed, I don't, I would be absolutely floored if they somehow skied hide and got the one seed. I would actually maybe be more concerned because of the physical effort that took during the regular season to get it. Um, but I really think the jazz are for real. And I think that, like you said, because we don't have to worry as much about chemistry and favors is the only one coming back. And you just have to worry about how he's going to play with Clarkson, Bojan and Conley, which are key pieces, but hopefully he meshes well there. And I think you might see the Jazz like just make a really big push for the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, if someone goes down on the Lakers, maybe make it to the finals. I do think, not that I'm hoping for an injury, I do think reasonably you need Davis or LeBron to go down. And even then with the depth the Lakers have this year, that might not be enough for the Jazz to push past them. Yeah, the Lakers uh, The Lakers probably got better this season as well, so it's going to be tough for any team to get through them. At the same time, though, if like I can only think of a handful of teams that like are equipped to handle the Lakers, and I think the Jazz are probably on that list. Obviously, going into a series with the Lakers, the Jazz are going to be the underdogs unless, like you said, LeBron or AD is injured. But uh, Gobert, I think, is... I think a lot of people underrate how well he could match up against Anthony Davis. And the main issue would be who is going to take care of LeBron. But if you have pieces like Gobert and Derek Favors in the post, you might be able to force LeBron to take more jump shots, which he is getting better at, but that's still not his game. If you force LeBron on the perimeter all game on offense, then it's he's not going to make the same impact as he would normally. So I think the Jazz have something. Um, they they have enough of everything that they could make it to the finals. Obviously, that's a that's not the most likely case, but I think they have that talent, and if they put it together, then um, there's not a lot of teams that will really be able to stand toe-to-toe with the Jazz when they're healthy and they're clicking on offense, and I'm sure there's going to be some defense to work out now that they're focusing more on defense than they were on la- than last season, but once they get to that point, they're a very well-rounded team in every aspect of the basketball. And so I think the only thing that the Jazz need to make it through to the Western Conference Finals and maybe even to the Finals 
is for Mitchell to really take that jump to right now he's an awesome franchise player, but he needs to take that jump where he's averaging like 28, 29 points a game and just being unstoppable on the offensive end, which I think is totally possible. He's still young and he's shown flashes of that. So there's that's a jump that he could take if he's able to get 28, 29. If he makes the jump of going from averaging, I think, three to four assists a game to six to seven assists a game, I think that those points off assists are would be the equivalent of that jump. Since if he's, you know, most of those assists would probably be threes or to go bare. So let's say he gets three more assists for an average of seven points a game. You know, that takes him from a 23, 24 a game score to if you add in those assists, a 30, a 30 plus. So I think that his, if he's able to pass better and find the open man a lot more, that that will have the equivalent effect. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but I definitely think you do need a bit more points accounted for from Donovan to make that step. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, the tough part with that, like, I would rather him take the jump in points than assists, but obviously the jump in assists, like if you're having a player averaging 24 and four versus 24 and seven, that's a huge difference over, especially over the course of a season. Um, I think that it might not make as huge of an impact this season. If he jumps in the assist column rather than the points, but it may give the jazz like brighter, like more hope for the, following seasons because now Mitchell is the distributor and people really have to take care of that. Um, and if, if he can like take the jump in both, he's an, he's a MVP candidate. If you have someone like Mitchell averaging 28 and seven assists, then that's ridiculously scary and no one's stopping him. Um, but I, I would like him to be able to take control of the offense and like you said, whether that is as more of a facilitator or as a give me the ball, um, I'm unstoppable kind of mindset, which is dangerous, but if you're that good, then you need those players, right? Um, but before we wrap up here, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode uh, because we have more content that we're planning and we'll talk about that in the wrap-up. But I think... Um, I'd like us both to make our guesses on what we think the Jazz will do for the first 10 games. Are they going to start off hot? Are they going to have like a 7-3, or are they going to like start off a little colder, like a 5-5 a five and five or something? Um, and once we make our pred- predictions, I want everyone who listened, got to this point in the episode, go down in the comments and let us know what you think the Jazz will do for the first 10 games. Are they starting off hot? What's their record going to be after game 10? Um, and why you think that way, um, what teams are they winning, what teams are up in the air, or what games, I guess. Because uh, they do have some games that they definitely need to win, others that could be up in the air. So I'm curious to see what everyone thinks, but um, Nate, I, I can tell you kind of looking at the schedule, so what do you think? <laughs> I'm going to go 7-10. and 10. Um, I seven think and that, three. Yeah, I would say um, 6 wins is the floor and eight wins is nine wins is the ceiling. I mean, the scary games are going to be Portland, Los Angeles Clippers, Brooklyn Nets, and Milwaukee Bucks. And so hopefully they'll win the other ones that puts them at six. Um, They might drop one that puts them at five, but I think they'll win two of those four games. So 
seven of 10 to start respectable. But I think that to, if they go eight or nine, the jazz fans should be super excited even more than they are now. I am going to be a little bit ambitious on this one. I think they will start off, start off hot. Um, I think they'll go eight and two in the first 10. Um, and the two teams I think they're going to lose to are the Spurs and the Nets. I think they've played good against the Bucks in the past. I think they'll be able to pull that one off. And I think they have what it takes to take down the Clippers. Um, and obviously it's one game, so it's not the end of the world one way or the other. But um, I'm going to say 8-2. and two. That's my official guess. Uh, but everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for getting to this point in the podcast. Um, now we're done with finals, at least for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so we're going, we're going to be trying to, pumping, to pump out um, some more content, maybe some shorter videos for you to enjoy throughout the week rather than just half an hour every weekend. Um, so if you comment down what you think the Jazz will do, let us know if you have any content that you want us to cover. Uh, if you like our new videos, then when school starts back up again, we're going to do our best to keep that creative content going so that you can uh, hear more about the Jazz. But anyways, thanks for listening. Don't forget to... Uh,